Let's see. Well, since the last time I've been here, I think we... I'm not sure if Titus was born yet, but we've got, we've got our third and last baby, um, Titus. And I've got to tell you, this little boy is the fattest thing I've ever seen in my life. When he was just about to turn six-month-old, he was getting a little snug in his clothing. We got the nine-month-old clothing out. It didn't fit him, so we, we kind of sold that. And then I had to run out and get the 12-month-old clothing. We found two items that fit him. He is in, at six months, he's in 18-month clothing. There's a couple neighborhood pets that are missing, and they're looking at Titus, wondering, like, is that why you're so big? He's the fattest thing. He's cute, but he's mostly chunky. He's just the, he's all rolls. Um, I think we're doing a better job with Titus than we did with Abigail and Gideon in this one particular area of trusting the Lord in those newborn days that are so overwhelming. For me, it was so tough when Abigail was born. Uh, for the first three days, every 30 minutes or less, I had one of those clicker flashlights and I would just check to see if she was breathing. And I didn't need an alarm clock. My paranoia woke me up every half hour. And I would, all night long I would do that and then I would just sleep during the day. And that's fine when you're off work and you have family visiting, but when, when life starts to get back to normal, I realize I need to figure out how to keep my baby alive but not be the one keeping my baby breathing. And I realized I don't trust God. <laughs> Abigail was healthy. We were keeping her safe, and I just needed to turn her over to the Lord. And I remember one night, it was emotional for me just to ask the Lord to, to watch over her and recognizing that he is the one that gives her breath and uh, sleeping that night and, and waking up in the morning and thinking, oh, did she make it? And, and she's five years old now, and she's fine. But it's just that fear we had. I, I literally didn't rest because I didn't trust the Lord in that category. And this morning, we're going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to be talking about what do you do when you're overwhelmed, when your heart is overwhelmed. And this morning, we'll look at how we can be confident during a crisis if we let our overwhelming situations drive us to prayer and faith in a very big God. You can, you can have confidence in those moments of crisis if, if it's allowing you to go towards the Lord, is driving you towards the Lord. And there's a king named Jehoshaphat that we're going to be looking at in Second Chronicles 20. And he was a good king. He was a really good king. Um, he was doing things well. He had a bad alliance with his children and Ahab's children, and, and then that kind of led to him going and supporting the king of Israel in a war he shouldn't have been at, and he almost died in that war. And, and then finally a prophet rebukes him for all of that, and he comes back just focused and begins to reform the kingdom of Judah and help them to focus on the Lord, banish idolatry, and he was doing great, and it's probably at his very best moment that his most overwhelming situation came. Not really any fault of how he was honoring the Lord, but the Lord's timing allowed it to happen like this. And we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1, that God allows overwhelming situations. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then came some and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazan Tamar, which is in En Gedi. Sometimes we think we have a reason to panic, right? We're like, in this situation, I, I'm allowed to panic. Back off. I'm allowed to panic in this situation. This is unique. This is an exception. That's probably how Jehoshaphat felt. Three armies coming against him, and they were only 15 miles away when he found out about it. Not, they're marching towards him. Not enough time to raise the, as big of an army as he would like to fight against this situation. And, and I know there's times in our lives where 
there's a great multitude of fear, anxiety, discouragement, maybe even depression, where we are just worrying about the situation we're going through. And it gets to a point where we can't handle it and it doesn't seem like anyone else can. We've exhausted our resources, right? We've racked our brain for a a solution. We've gone to family and friends. We've gone to pastors. And finally, we realize there's nowhere else to turn except for to lift our eyes up and look to the Lord. And that's what he wants us to do. So why does God allow situations like this? Jehoshaphat was doing great. Why send a destructive force like this towards him? Well, there's a bunch of reasons why the Lord allows trials in our lives to test our faith is one of them, help us to know what our faith is like, to help mold our character is an important thing that happens in trials, to be a witness to others is, is super important. But I think this situation, it was to draw the people towards himself. That's something that should happen when we're overwhelmed is that we should be drawn towards the Lord. When the waters are rising, we need to seek higher ground. That was like literal in California this weekend. As the, like that, did you guys catch that the, storm, the tropical storm's name was Lucifer? I was telling the Bible college students, do not leave your dorm rooms, you know, just stay in little prayer circles. He's coming for us. Um, but when the waters are rising, what do we do? The psalmist tells us in Psalm 61 two, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That, that's, that's why the Lord allows this. God is not the author of evil, but as, as the waters are rising, what do we do? We have to seek higher ground. Eventually, no human can help us, and we must go towards the Lord. And that can be a purpose in trials. And so that's obvious to us, right? As, as we believe in the Lord, we know we should go to the Lord for these situations. But just because it's obvious doesn't mean it's automatic, and that's where we've got to start shortening that time of, of seeking the Lord quicker and quicker. How do we normally react? We see in verse three. This is a very human example, right? It says, and Jehoshaphat feared. You're like, okay, good. This is a good, this is a human, right? This is, this is someone that will respond the same way that I do. And, and God knows that, and that's not even necessarily wrong. Fear is something that God gave us, right? We're supposed to be running away from the bear. You know, fear helps us to act and to, to consider what we should be doing. And so God knows that we're just dust, He knows that we fear, and that is human and that is normal. That's a natural reaction, but we have the benefit of not just being natural. There's a supernatural element to us when we became born again by the Spirit. And so the natural reaction is fine, but then when do we kick in the supernatural reaction? When do we begin to seek the Lord? And so how should we react, we see as Jehoshaphat continues. So he feared, but continuing in verse 3, and set himself to seek the Lord. And proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And so what should we do after that fear? What is our responsibility? Well, the first thing that Jehoshaphat does is he sets the example himself, right? It says he set himself to seek the Lord. He didn't immediately command the priests to fast and everyone else to to seek the Lord. He recognized, I need to seek the Lord in this. I'm supposed to be leading everybody. I need to seek the Lord in this. And he sets that example. And one of our problems is that when when overwhelming situations come, sometimes we only think about ourselves and we need to recognize family and friends and unbelievers are watching us. And it's just as important for us to be setting a good example for them. It says that, he to seek the Lord, right? And so this phrase seek here in the Hebrew is to resort to, 
to frequent a place, to trample underfoot. The idea, the visual we're being given is that we are to beat a path to God because we frequent that location so much. So sometimes when you're in the woods or on a trail, you recognize like this trail just formed naturally. Like the park service didn't do it. This trail formed because animals go across it so much or people are using it and cutting through so much that because there's so much foot traffic, it's a path that now is, is always taken and we need to get ourselves recognizing after fear, that should be our trigger. You know what? I need that, uh, that habit of heading towards the Lord, beating a path towards the Lord, seeking his face for help. Jehoshaphat, despite being king, humbles himself, right? He declares a fast. So he is personally fasting. He declares a fast. That's a humbling thing, right? The king isn't confident. His first reaction wasn't, don't worry, our armies are huge, right? We're going to be fine. He doesn't say anything like that. He says, we need to seek the Lord. We need to fast. And he humbles himself to the point of saying, I will not be eating because I need the Lord's help. And the one thing that he did that is probably the most difficult is it says, they came to seek. He got the word out. What's most difficult for us sometimes is to ask each other to bear one another's burdens. Sometimes we want to take care of things on ourselves. We don't want to be a burden to somebody else by asking them to help us. But we're the body of Christ. Right? We have to recognize that the people we are sitting next to, we should be helping each other, weeping with those that weep and, and supporting each other. And it's quite a privilege to do that. And sometimes we think we're burdening others by asking them to bear our burden, but it's rarely the case within the body of Christ. We want to help each other and do that. And so he does these things. There's an extraordinary circumstance, and he really does need extraordinary help and so he, it, we just see, he sought the Lord in extraordinary ways. It wasn't enough for him just to do the normal routine. When we are overwhelmed, and praise the Lord if we're the, we're the people that are having daily devotions, but when something of, of such a magnitude comes upon us that we are overwhelmed, we must seek the Lord in new ways and cling to him in different ways. It could be part of the purpose of that trial as well. So what do we remind ourselves of when we're going through these situations? In verse 5, it says, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And so as he stood there, he had these thoughts that he formed into a prayer to help lead everyone's heart to have a real focus on the Lord. And he reminds us of five truths that we need to keep in mind when we are all going through overwhelming situations. So here's his prayer. The first thing we should remember is that God is sovereign. Right? This, it seems like it came out of left field. It seems like it's a surprise, and that's our perspective. But God is sovereign and was aware all the time. Verse 6 said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? He's declaring God's sovereignty and his trust in God's sovereignty. Not only are you God of us, but you're God over all these kingdoms. You're the God of each of these three nations that think that they're going to dishonor you and kill us. Whether they believe it or not, you are their God. You're willing that none of them should perish. Their death doesn't bring you any pleasure, right? You're their God. You're in control of all of these things. And that's an encouraging thought to remember as sometimes people come against us. And situations come against us, and these earthly situations come against us. We need to remember God was aware yesterday as he is today. He, he knew this would happen, and he's going to be there with us. So God is sovereign. Also, remember, God's been faithful before. It's, it's not like God has failed us our entire life, and maybe this one time Christianity will be true, and God will help us. Not at all. God's been faithful the whole time. Look at verse 7. 
Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Right? You, you've helped us in the past. You've already driven out these inhabitants. Our, our history is a history of the 10 plagues, of the sea destroying Pharaoh's army, uh, of Joshua and his conquest, of, of David and his conquest. Right? Ours is a history of God being faithful. You've helped us in the past in overwhelming situations. You're going to help us again. And so it's not the easiest habit to get started, but those that do it recognize the value of it. But to try and get in the habit of having a prayer journal, where you're recording specific prayers that you're reviewing daily or weekly to, to intercede for others and, and, and for yourself. And you're writing the prayer requests down along with eventually the answers to the prayers. If you do it for long enough, you'll begin to realize that God does answer prayers. And sometimes his no's are better than his yeses. Like I didn't marry that girl in high school. Praise the Lord. Like Shannon is amazing. My wife is amazing. You know, it's like, it's amazing. Like think about like, Abigail, Gideon, and Titus wouldn't exist if I married anybody else. Like, God is so good to say no sometimes, right? Keep a prayer journal, and and you'll reflect back. And when you're going through these overwhelming situations, you can pause and say, well, let me just remind myself how faithful God has been. You'll realize I am forgetful. I should be thanking the Lord every week for some of these things that happened years ago. Also remember, God's promises from Scripture is the third. Look at verse 8. And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. What is Jehoshaphat doing? He's quoting 1 Kings 8. He's reciting scripture, a promise from God's word, back to God, and reminding himself, God, you, you already handled this in the scriptures. You already told us what the outcome was going to be. When Solomon was dedicating the temple, at one point, the situation of enemies coming against Israel came up. And you said, if we look to you, you would handle it. And so you, you made that promise. You heard his prayer. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. And so he's reminding himself of these promises. And there are precious truths that we can not only read in the word of God, but we can write them on index cards. We can memorize them. We can journal about them so that we can hold on to God's word in overwhelming situations to get us through the difficult times. Fourth thing we should remember is God's nature. He's good. The situation may be bad, but God is good. God is just, and he is fair. In verse 10, we see, and now here we are. The people, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to overthrow us and throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? This is Jehoshaphat saying like, you're a good God, but this seems unfair. And so I have a feeling you're going to, you're going to fix this. You're going to sort this out. Because Israel had a chance when they were exiting Egypt they came across these nations. They were on fire. Ten plagues, Red Sea. They easily could have dealt with this nation. God was fighting for them, right? But God said to not do that. God said, no, leave them alone. They're distant relatives of yours. Let's go the long way if they won't let you through. So is the outcome going to be because we obeyed you and didn't destroy them, now we're going to be punished and they're going to be able to destroy us? That doesn't seem fair, right? And and, and Jehoshaphat, I, I believe here, is trusting in God's nature, 
that he is good. That's, that's one thing you got to hold on to when everything else seems rotten in life. It's okay to, to ask God questions, but never question his character. So, so I mean, it's, it's great to, to talk to the Lord sincerely like the psalmist, right? And say, well, why, God? I don't understand God. But never say, you aren't good because of this. That would be wrong. That would be, that's not the kind of boldness that we have to approach God and accuse him of sin. That's wrong. His ways are above our ways. They're past finding out. He will always be good in all situations. He chooses to bring all these things towards goodness in our lives if we trust in him. And then fifth, remember your need for God. We just need him. We've got no way to solve some of these things without God himself helping us. In verse 12, for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. The king wasn't confident in his army. He wasn't confident in his own strategy. He says, well, to be honest, God, I don't even know what to do. I'm the leader and I have no idea what to do. And he's, this is a humbling moment. He's declaring this in front of all the people that are gathered for prayer. He's saying, we, we need you. We're not puffed up in pride. We need you to get us through this situation. And praise God for overwhelming situations where we, we recognize it wasn't another person that helped us, but it was God that helped us and that we, we just need him every day of our lives. It's a good reminder for us. So when we have these problems, We've got to figure out where do we put our gaze, right? Where do, we, where do we focus on? And usually we focus on our problem too much and we focus on God a little. We've got to reverse that, right? It's been said that we need to just glance at the problem and we need to gaze at the Lord. And you can tell how, how we're doing in this when our mouth kind of betrays us, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And sometimes our prayers show really what's in our heart. And prayers filled with the greatness of God increase our faith, but prayers filled with the greatness of our problem shrink our faith. And we've got to be careful. Just, just focus on the Lord. He knows. He knows what we're going through. Sometimes I try and like tell God exactly how he can fix it. You ever done that where you're like, and Lord, this is so bad. I've got four ways that you could fix this. So I mean, you, you've got a lot of creativity. You could do all four of these. I'm not trying to tell you which one to do because you're God and God's like, oh, stop it. Just tell me you're sad and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll help you. We have, we have no idea sometimes. But we try and like coach God through it as if he can't think of a creative solution. We've got to focus on God and just give him glory. It'll bring such peace to our minds, right? Our hearts will be uh, given peace if we stay our minds on him. And so as we do that, as we're focusing on the Lord, expect God to help. Just expect him to help. That's, that's what they did. Verse 13. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. So if we expect God to help, we're going to wait on the Lord. We're going to wait on him. And so they waited on the Lord. I'm not sure how long they waited. I just know that it was longer than Americans wait, right? Like I, I love uh, Amazon Prime. Like it works. I give them lots of money because of two-day delivery. It's, it's great. But I get jealous. I get a little covetousness of not living in a big city like San Diego where it's not two-day delivery, one-hour delivery. You're like, come on. Everything should be one-hour delivery. Pizza places don't even give you your money back if it's more than 30 minutes now or something. It's great. This is what we want as Americans, but the Lord wants us to wait on him in a Christian way, not in an American way. In the Bible, sometimes people would wait for days and weeks patiently for the Lord, and sometimes we give them like a minute. We're like, well, you had your chance. I guess I'll fix it. And it can't, that can't be, right? They waited on the Lord. And what does God do? He answers their cry for help. Verse 14. 
Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. So let's just point out right here, Jehoshaphat is the one giving the awesome prayer. And it was a good prayer. He's doing a good job as a king. The king is giving the prayer and then they're all standing still. You better believe everyone's eyes are on the king, expecting the king to have the answer from the prayer or maybe the high priest standing next to him to have the answer of the prayer. But it's some random dude in the back in the middle of the crowd. It's some guy in the middle of the crowd. All of a sudden it's like, shut up. And, And this Levite, a son of Asaph, not a son of Aaron, speaks up and is used by God to encourage everybody. That means that while we are blessed to have pastors standing at pulpits and and expounding the scriptures, we can be just as expectant of the person sitting next to us to give us a word from the Lord through the Holy Spirit. The, The word can come from the midst of everybody. But look who the word is too. The word isn't just directed at the king. First, in verse 15, he says, all you of Judah. So everyone from the boonies, everyone from the little towns where nobody even knows what those villages are named anymore. This word is for you. It's for the inhabitants of the city, whether prominent or not, and it's for the king. God's word is for every single person. He wanted to encourage everybody, not just speak towards the king. And he doesn't ignore his children when they call. The Lord says it through Isaiah and Isaiah 49. They shall not be ashamed who wait on me. They won't be ashamed. I mean, think about it. This is, this is what God wants, right? He wants us to really believe in the invisible God. And that's going to mean that there are times where we do business with God alone and we don't even share what's going on, right? We, 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 we wait on the Lord. He's not going to let that person because that person's a bit rare, the person who really waits on the Lord. He's not going to let that person be the one that everyone just makes fun of. Like, see, we told you, you should have done something with your hands. You should have fixed it yourself. No, God wants us to wait on him and will not allow us to be ashamed. All right. And so I, I feel like an inhabitant sometimes. I feel like I'm from the rural place. Sometimes you're like, Lord, like, how am I, how am I supposed to help in this situation? How am I supposed to, you know, trust? And, and the Lord desires to speak to each of us. But just think about the logic, right? We're God's children. So God the Father has put in, has put in, <laughs> Putin. Uh, God the Father has put inside of us the spirit of his son to cry out, Abba, Father, right? That's a truth, right? We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so now we have this yearning, this ability to cry out, Dad, and and reference the Lord. Why would God give us that ability, right? He would make that a true part of our nature, but then what, he's never gonna answer us? He's gonna be the worst dad ever? No, right? He's gonna be better than us. And and dads hear when their kids cry out and have that that sound in their voice that they're scared, immediately go and, and help them out. Our Father has given us that inside of us because he is going to help us. He is going to respond to our prayers. And so here's what God wants us to know when we're overwhelmed. This is what the random guy in the back is, is sharing to the people of Judah. Verse 15, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them and they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And so 
we're instructed a few different things here. This is, this is from the person who's speaking on behalf of God. What does God want us to know when we are overwhelmed and we're outmatched? Well, he wants us to know it's not having our fight, right? We partner with God. We, we have a part in it, but God is the one that's going to do the battle. They're going to see this in a real literal way that they're not even expecting. We're told, do not be afraid. So in other words, we need to take our thoughts captive, We need to take our emotions captive and not be led around by what the Bible says can be a wicked heart, a fickle heart. And and we know that's to be the case. I know that to be the case because I work at a Bible college and I did youth ministry before that. And so I hear 30 times a semester, God told me that I'm to marry this person. I'm like, (laughs) oh, okay, great. And then like one of them gets married and the rest of them break up. And I'm like, well, you, you hear what you want to hear, right? None of, none of them, by the way, ever say, I'm sorry for blaspheming the name of the Lord and bringing his name into it. They never say that. They just kind of bury it and move on. But listen, we, we need to recognize that, that God, God's going to help us in these situations. We don't need to be afraid, right? He's going to help us. Follow God's plan of attack. He says, you will find them. You will find them. He spells out the exact battle plan before it happens. He doesn't say, Right now, they're at the ascent of Ziz. He says, you'll find them tomorrow as you're going out in this location. He, he knows exactly what the enemy's trying to do, whether it be Lucifer or whether it be, you know, another person. He knows these situations. We just need to follow his plan. What is the Lord telling us to do? As we read the word, what is, should our response be in an overwhelming situation? And then position yourselves. Position yourselves is, is their responsibility. Be close enough to watch God work. And so, you want to be setting yourself before the Lord in prayer, in fasting, reading the scriptures when you are overwhelmed so that when the solution comes, you've positioned yourselves to know that was God's answer. So everyone else might say, oh, sweet, your aunt gave you a check for rent. Did you like call her and beg her? But you know that you didn't even tell your aunt about that and that was God's providential help in response to your prayer. Position yourself so you know God's providence and what he's trying to do. And then he reminds them, the Lord's with you. Right? God, God's with you. You know, you think of the scene of some scrawny little kid and the bullies are there and all of a sudden the big brother comes up from behind and the bullies go running and, and you know, God is behind us. He's, you know, it's not that he's in our corner, like we're with him, right? He's, he's the one really taking the charge. God is with us in all these situations. And so when God answers our prayers, we, we praise him. And that's what happens here. Verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites uh, of the children of the Kohathites of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. And what's important here is when they're praising the Lord, right? They're not even leaving the city until tomorrow. But now that they just heard what they believe to be God speaking through someone and they go, God heard our prayer, and he answered our prayer. They just begin to burst out in praise. They only had the prophet's word, but they trusted in it so much that they could praise the Lord in those times. That's why it's so important when we're going through overwhelming situations to, to sing to the Lord out loud, right? When we're in church, to praise him and, and, and honor him in that way, that despite my life seems like it's falling apart, you still deserve to be praised for what you've done for me, for who you are. And just like us, we've got the the prophet's word. We've got the word of God before the victory, right? We're told in Romans that in all these things, we are more than conquerors for him who loves us, right? We've got God's word in advance. We've got God's word now that we can be storing up and and using. And and so for Jehoshaphat in in this kingdom, 
All they had to do the next day was believe. In verse 20, it says, they rose up early in the morning and went out. And I say all they had to do, but we know how difficult that is, right? When, you, when you're going through an overwhelming situation and you're trying to trust in the Lord, you go to bed in the morning, you wake up and you're like, oh, please tell me that was a dream. Ah, that's my life. You know, this is real. And it can be so discouraging in the morning to get up and say, all right, am I gonna believe him again today like I did yesterday? They went out into the wilderness of Tekoa and as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, O Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. So after this initial faith, they needed reminding. So Jehoshaphat is a great king here doing that. But here's what's amazing. I love this. So yesterday, within the walls of Jerusalem, they got that word from the Lord. And what they find and what Jehoshaphat's reminding them is that the truth that they believed yesterday within the walls of Jerusalem is still true as they leave the walls, the safe walls of Jerusalem and go out towards this battle. That's an important practical point for all of us because I know on Sundays as Pastor Ted is, is you know, expounding on the scriptures and you believe as you're worshiping, you believe, you're thinking about the sermon, I believe this, Lord, I know this is true within the walls of reliance. And then the next day you wake up and you need to convince yourself that truth did not become not true because you left a location outside of these walls. God's word is going to be true as you go to work, school, and, and as you're home. God's word is true everywhere. And so their inward belief now leads to an outward expression. It gets real in verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And so real faith at some point is going to express itself practically, right? At some point it's going to become, it's going to become real. It's going to show itself. And so here's the opposite of worry in their situation. Even though there's a lot of people with swords and armor, put the, put the men in the cloth up front. Put the choir up front with no weapons and have them lead the army singing songs to the Lord. That's real faith because you're the first person, get, first person getting hit by a bow and arrow. <laughs> right? You're the first person getting struck. And so you need to realize, do, did I believe God's word or not? They did. And so they put themselves in harm's way. And their, their praise showed their faith and faith in a way, moves God to act. There are times where God mercifully acts without our faith, and there's times where the, the, the faith moves him. Right? Think of Paul and Silas praising the Lord, but they're still bound up, and God acts by, by freeing them. And it's only a little bit of faith. Jesus said in Matthew 17, you just need faith as small as a mustard seed, and you can say to this mountain, you know, be cast into the sea. It's not how big and how amazing our faith is. It's just the Lord knows us and he knows where we're at and how much faith we need to express in him and where our faith is directed. And if we choose not to partner, partner with him in that, you know, he's gonna author the faith, but if we choose to instead dwell on our problem and we're gonna fix it without the Lord, sometimes that means that he's not gonna work in the same way. It's just the truth in the Bible. Matthew 13 says he did not do many works there because of their unbelief. So God's merciful, praise God. He helps us sometimes when we don't even do any of the things we're supposed to do as Christians and we're acting just like pagans. He helps us, great. But there are times we don't want to at least limit God, right? We want to be the ones that are believing in him in these difficult situations. And a crisis has a way to cause us to do that. So there's six results that we see when somebody trusts in the Lord like this. If you're going to trust in the Lord, here's, here's what can happen. Verse 22, the first is that there's going to be victory, there will be victory, whether physical or spiritual, there will be victory. 
says, now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to destroy them. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen on the, ground, on the earth. No one had escaped. Right? And, so there, and there's a connection here to them singing, right? When they began to sing in praise, then these ambushes started. But, but they didn't see this. Judah didn't see this, right? Judah's marching out towards that location. But as they're singing over the hill, what's happening is that these kingdoms start destroying each other. And it's connected to their faith. And there's a real victory here. I mean, they show up and it's just quiet. It's not like the one person's wiggling around. And they st- like it's, it's over. Like everyone's dead. These three nations who were waiting for reports to come back never found out a report from anybody that went. It was just all the silence eventually in the investigation and they realized everyone's dead for all three nations and people began to fear the Lord. There's, there's real victory that happened. It, Judah didn't even predict this type of victory. They brought their weapons still, but this is the kind of victory that God can give. Conclusive victory, absolute victory. And sometimes that'll happen for us physically. Sometimes there will be a healing. Sometimes, you know, there will, will be money, right? Sometimes there's a physical victory, but there will always be a spiritual victory if we trust the Lord like this. People will say, I just, I just noticed that you're more compassionate after that trial that you've been through. I just noticed that you're more generous now that the Lord has helped you. I just noticed that you're more patient now with your kids now that you've, you know, been through that. There can be a spiritual victory, definitely. The Lord was so powerful. He even used the bitterness of the enemies trying to outsmart each other and their greed and bitterness ended up being that they all killed each other. The second result of trusting in God is provision in verse 25. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barakah for there they blessed the Lord Therefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Barakah until this day. So what the enemy went, meant for absolute destruction ends up sustaining and supporting Judah and makes them richer than they were ever before. Three days of going back and forth and, and taking all of the, the jewels and everything. So these armies must have raided little villages on the way in and, and Judah gets all of this instead of the death that was intended. So they're enriched physically and we can be enriched spiritually as we go through these things and sometimes physically, but we need to appreciate the spiritual blessings. It's amazing that God gives us spiritual gifts and spiritual blessings and heavenly places in, in Christ Jesus. Those are worth it. Those are amazing. But what I want you to notice in this passage is that this valley wasn't always called the Valley of Barakah. It wasn't always the name. There must have been some moms that were sending off their kids into this battle that were, well, where are they going again? The incentives is that that'll be the valley of death. That'll be the valley that I go and bury my child. That'll be the valley that I go every year and remember my child. That's, there's God, it must have been some that were that nervous that were thinking like that. And yet there was such an amazing reversal that even though the enemy intended death, they decided to call this valley the valley of blessing. And that's an experience that some of you may have already had where, where, where the enemy intended death or somebody intended slander or, or whatever, you look at a trial that you've been through and because of 
the closeness that you felt to the Lord, because of how the body of Christ showed love, because of the character change that happened in you, if you were to look back and, and someone were to ask you, you'd say, I would let it all happen again. I wouldn't change a thing because of the blessings that I've experienced in what could have ended up in death. And we can be ones that, that change the names of these things and say God is a blessing God and sometimes he does that through suffering. Sometimes he does that through being overwhelmed. The third result of trusting in God is joy. It says, then they returned in verse 27, every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord made them rejoice over their enemies. They just couldn't help but, but have such an amazing joy, like telling the story of what God had done. But notice what they do. They, they bring that joy back into Jerusalem and they start sharing of God's goodness and giving him glory and rejoicing with everyone there. And, and as we're praying with each other each week at church and, and getting to know each other and bearing one another's burdens, and then we leave church and the Lord meets us and the Lord gives us you know, those blessings and helps us, we can bring that joy back into the church and minister one to another and say, here's what God did since we've been together. Here's, here's how faithful God has been. And we can stir each other up and we can be building each other's faith by sharing the stories of what God is doing in our lives, bringing that joy back to uh, with, within the walls. The fourth result of trusting in God is just worship. It makes sense. Look at verse 28. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets and to the house of the Lord. Right? It wasn't enough just to sing. They had to get out the instruments and just begin to properly worship the Lord in the way that they knew how. And they were stirred because of how powerful God was. But we need to keep in mind that God deserves this type of worship all the time, right? Job heard the news of losing everything, all of his resources, and then even the worst case scenario of his 10 children all dying and he fell down and said, naked I came into the world, naked I'm gonna leave, blessed be the name of the Lord. He worshiped the Lord, he didn't sin in any of that despite being counseled to sin in those ways. God deserves worship all the time in all of our situations, all the more when we believe that he showed up in a way that we wanted him to, all the more reason you know, that we should worship him, and they do here. The fifth result of trusting in God is a witness, right? It's an amazing witness, verse 29. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Can you imagine being those countries and then other countries and it's one of those moments where everyone's gonna keep their hands off of Judah for a few years because of that story. There's no way if God fights for them, then forget it. And, and there's this witness and that probably led, we're not given an indication, but this fear of God probably led to the conversion of some. Man, our God's a little rinky-dinky God of this little valley over here. That God destroyed everyone's God. That's the true God. You know, what a witness to the enemies. What a witness to everybody. It's a faith-building witness and we can allow that to happen. And we need to see that as good, right? And we just need to, especially when we're in moments of peace, we need to pause and just kind of wrestle through these things that, God is very loving and good to allow his born-again believers to suffer physically and emotionally if the witness of our response and what God is doing is going to be great enough to bring salvation to somebody who would be spending billions of years in hell, right? And now they're going to be a child of God. We should be willing and prepare ourselves to suffer in that way just like Christ suffered, that's very good of God. That person, that person that is saved because of that witness, because of that death or whatever, will spend the next few billion years not only thanking God, but thanking you for that witness of allowing God to do that. It's, if we really think about it in the scale of eternity, that witness is amazing. 
And the sixth and last result of trusting in God that we see here is rest. Verse 30, then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. This, this was a time where there wasn't wars, right? There was a time where they could just focus on God and, and his goodness and build the kingdom. This also didn't become a pattern, right? The next time that an army was bold enough to attack Judah, it wasn't like they left all the weapons at home and just sent the choir out to deal with it this time. We don't see this becoming a pattern. This was a unique way that God tried to show his glory. And so there's gonna be times where God shows his glory and his help to somebody else in the body of Christ and we can't always expect him to show it to us in the same exact way because we're in a different situation and he wants to work out good with us in a different way sometimes. So this didn't become a pattern, but what an amazing story that built everybody's faith up. I wanna close by thinking about what if God doesn't save like this? All right, this is amazing. This is a faith-building moment, but what if you do all these things and then cancer kills? The cars collide and and sin destroys and addiction ruins. And what if God doesn't save like this, although this being an amazing story? Well, Well, one thing we need to recognize is that that trial will not have been wasted if it caused us to cling to God in new ways and taught us more about his presence and brought us towards him and our relationship with with him was deepened. Because of that tragedy, then that's still a good thing. Right? We need to grow and learn with the Lord in these things. When, when the Lord saw to it to um, allow and, and maybe not answer our prayers when our first child died in the womb, um, you know, we had to seek God in different ways. It, we were, we were uh, my wife and I were married for three years or so, and we were daily devotional kind of people. But if we had just left it at daily devotionals to try and get through the grieving process when the nursery was all finished and everything, we wouldn't have made it. We would have faltered, right? We needed to cling to God in new ways because of that tragedy. And so we began to not only do daily devotions, but, but pray and weep through the Psalms and, and buy different devotional books on people who've experienced similar things and, and um, have the body of Christ, you know, us being open to not just hiding, but have the body of Christ minister to us. And, and we had to cling in new ways, in new ways that we are grateful for that prepared us for future tragedies so we didn't start from a a lower level of of understanding of grief, but we started from what we had learned with the Lord. It wasn't wasted for many different reasons, but ultimately think of the paradox of Jesus on the cross. Think, Think about that. It was on the cross that Jesus defeated our greatest enemy, but nobody would have planned it that way. It was only God that knew this was going to be the way it was going to happen. And nobody even understood the work and what was happening while it was happening. The best of the best, the disciples were scattered like sheep, right? Nobody even understood. Nobody knew that behind the scenes, when it looked like defeat, God was actually opening up redemption for all mankind who would repent and believe in him. It didn't look like winning, It looked like defeat, and we need to recognize that at times, even though we want a certain answer to prayer, and it doesn't seem like that's what's going to be good for us, we need to recognize God is working behind the scenes. God is good as he's working behind the scenes, and we might not receive that physical victory that we're looking for now, but God is ultimately going to give us victory. None of us will get to heaven and shake our fist at God and say, unfair, how come my life wasn't like that person's life? How come my, none of us will do that. My, my little f- first child didn't get to heaven and say, 12 weeks in the womb, didn't he, he didn't yell at God in that. Because when we get to heaven, 
We're going to see Christ and we're going to see the wounds in his hands and on his side. We're going to see our Savior loving us. And, and here's what our response is going to Romans 8.18 says it best. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We have no idea, even though we have the scriptures, just how amazing the next few billion years are going to be with the Lord. God is going to balance everything out and then some because he's never going to be a debtor to man. And then for believers, God is going to be with us here on earth too through these overwhelming situations. And so when the waters are rising up, we need to seek higher ground. We need to find the rock that is higher than I. God is always there waiting for us if we'll turn and look to him. And even when we're not, he's, he's helping us out and undergirding us and, and strengthening us. But we don't want to waste these overwhelming situations. We want to cling to God in them. So let's ask God to help us to do that.